I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. High-tech and innovation have brought many good things to the world. Social media connected us to one another and, in doing so, gave power to the citizens of the world. Search engines gave us access to knowledge, and the day may come when autonomous cars will rid us of accidents on the road and save millions of lives. But startups may also have dark sides. Facebook helped, unwittingly, spread fake news and foreign governments used it to intervene in the democratic process in America. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are used for drug and weapon trafficking, far from the eyes of law enforcement. And then there's privacy. It's that thing we used to have and maybe never will again. So innovation goes both ways. That we know. But what happens when companies innovate to provide tools for governments to intercept their citizens' activities, extract information about them, and maybe ultimately prosecute them and violate their basic human rights? In recent years, more and more Israeli companies are blamed for doing exactly that. In a huge investigative report on Haaretz, one of Israel's leading newspapers, reporters Hagar Shizaf and Yonatan Jakobson delved into the dark pasts of a few of these companies. What they found was alarming. Hagar Shizaf of Haaretz joins us today to talk about the investigation and the piece she co-wrote. This podcast is made in collaboration with the Jewish Journal. And Eitan is not here with us yet again. He's abroad, but uh, I have Agar. So tell me, um, how did this uh, piece came to be at all? Um, so a couple of months ago, uh, we started to think about the world of private companies um, that are developing and selling um, surveillance uh, systems. Uh, and in general, about the fact that Israel became this ecosystem, we are used to think of it as startup nation. Um, but an under I mean something you know that happens at the same time or is part of it is that Israel also became became an empire um, of surveillance and of surveillance export. Um, and while we usually talk about you know, classic uh, arms trade, we rarely talk about surveillance um, and the uh, connection between startups or startups isn't, I mean, some of these companies are big companies. At Summers, there are also startups. There are also startups. Um, these, like our piece talked a bit less about startups or some of the companies we talked to matured enough so they're no longer startups. Right. Um, but anyway, it we wanted to talk about you know this equation of um, startup nation, the army, um, and surveillance and privacy, and that's how we came about to investigating this industry specifically. So, what what did you do during your investigations? Um, well, I think I, I mean main I would say methodology was talking to people uh, who worked in the different companies uh, or are still working in a different company. How many companies would you estimate <laughs> are there? Are we talking about 
dozens or hundreds in Israel? So it really depends on how you define the scope. Um, because one label you could put on it would be offensive cyber. Offensive cyber is like NSO. Um, and NSO is one of the big companies that you talk about in yeah, the article. Yeah, they're one of the prominent companies at yeah. least. Um, and, you know, so if you only... look at that and we can get more into you know how you define offensive cyber as an, as an opposed to uh, other types of surveillance if you talk only of that I would say I mean there are obviously dozens but not not hundreds but then if you take into account all sorts of other companies that deal with surveillance it's hard to estimate actually because a lot of them are under the radar uh, on purpose obviously I would say I would say dozens. So you, you decide to go about it and then you need to find people inside these companies. That would be a huge challenge, I imagine. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing that people rarely understand about journalists is the amount of work that we do that is repetitive and that is just really frustrating, you know, of, you know. making 20 phone calls a day most of them nothing will come out of or you know trying to approach I mean you know you do a lot of like really hard work that's very you know you get a lot of people hanging in your face basically hanging up in it's your like face. fishing <laughs> right you mean internet fishing no no I mean I mean you sit in the lake for hours and hours right and hope someone will bite right 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 take the bait right uh fish don't tell you no ah uh, they don't <laughs> yeah. hang up in your face but yeah um but you know with time and we have spoken uh, i think the article reflects that that we have spoken to sources from the companies that are very you know some of them would be um very senior um some of them would be very young just like fresh out of the army so we kind of had that whole scope you know of people um that we spoke with which was very very interesting um it's also interesting you know on the one hand to talk with the people who are managing the companies and on the other hand with the people who are actually on the ground seeing some things that obviously the directors will never see so you see this gap for example um i mean you know we gave some examples in the article of misuse of uh the surveillance systems Um, one of the examples that we gave was from uh, Indonesia, um, where a person who worked uh, with a variant system... Uh, variant, another company. Yes, variant is another company. It's a big company. It's an Israeli-American company. Um, there, it, was, it started by an Israeli and is run today by an Israeli too. It had an Israeli branch as well. Um, so in that sense, by the way, it's maybe like good, good to say that we are talking about Israeli companies in the broad sense. Uh, some of them may not be located here, but in other locations, but they have Israeli leadership. Um, so anyway, so I was, so one case in which we saw, you know, or heard about misuse was again in Indonesia, where a person who worked with variant, with um, the variant system there said that he saw um, that it was used to create a de- database of LGBT people in the country. Um, and that they were asked um, for, to help in an investigation 
against um, against an official who was accused of blasphemy, uh, if that's how you pronounce it in English. Blasphemy, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, so you have people, I mean, I think an interesting thing about this industry in general is that these tools, the systems, are called dual-use systems. That means that inherently um, you are aware of the fact that this system can do can be used for many different things. And it's not about, I mean, I guess you could argue whether the system itself is malicious or not, but it's about the way it's used. Obviously, the same system that is used to track LGBT activists can be used against terrorists as well. We won't get into how certain countries define terrorism and not because we will not get out of this discussion. Yeah. Um, but so, I mean, I think that it's something that the industry acknowledges. I can say that, again, senior people too um, acknowledge the fact that it's possible to use these systems, um, to misuse these systems, actually. Uh, but then you have the people on the ground who actually see that. Um and very often don't have anyone to report to, as, I mean, according to them. So before we get to exactly what these companies do, more or less, I, I wonder when you approach such a person who works, because it's ironic, right? Like, if you approach him through Facebook, <laughs> then he would be afraid to answer, or through his phone, because maybe he's also, also under surveillance of his own company. You know, they would be paranoid and then maybe he would he would meet you in a secret alley or something like that um so i mean i would say one thing um and before that we talked about you know what can people do to protect themselves etc etc like i am kind of coming out of this whole investigation thinking two things and i'm i am actually answering your question even though it doesn't sound like it um i mean first thing is that of course you know, privacy is gone. But privacy is gone not because um, it's possible to intercept your phone, but because you give out so much information. If I wanted to find anything about you, all I needed to do was to friend your Facebook, if if you define everything as, as private. If not, it's, you know, I can just browse and find so much about you. So, like, I think that people are, in a way, sometimes enjoying feeling terrified by this, you know, mystical thing of someone will intercept my phone, whereas, you know, their day-to-day -day practice exposes them to so many things. And this is something... Willingly. Willingly. And I mean, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, as a journalist, obviously, it makes my job easier, too, because, you know, had I wanted to investigate you probably would have been much easier with social media. Yep. But at the same time, you know, so I mean, I, I think this is like the first thing people kind of um, people kind of forget that, you know, um, and I mean, you know, about approach, obviously, you know, you as a journalist need to take care of your sources and make sure that the communication is done in a way that will not jeopardize them. Um, not so much meeting in dark alleys, I would say, even though I know people have this romantic idea of journalism. Um, but, you know, you take precautions. Pre yeah, you take precautions. You try not to, you know, uh, don't WhatsApp your secrets, okay? Just because, mm -hmm. like, you know, 
it's in writing (laughs) better say it on the phone i mean the the chances and this is actually another point chances are it's very illegal for a company um to tap your phone it's not illegal for the authorities authorities can do that but if you work in a private company for that company to actually apply the systems on you that's illegal so and unless these com- it's not unless it's not unless in, in some i mean in some countries obviously it's not but uh or i i, I don't know but in western democracies generally yeah and also you know these companies say rightfully to what i'm aware of, to the extent i'm aware of they are acting according to the law um but can we really know that whatsapp for example isn't taking some notes from my voice conversations on whatsapp no one can know so listen i mean i as i said am no security expert i can say that people who are whom i spoke with and i don't know about whatsapp taking notes of your voice but i do know that whatsapp for example used to be uh today the whatsapp encryption is considered to be good um and that actually poses that's an interesting um kind of dynamic that you know if i i interviewed someone who's like a senior figure in in one of the companies and he said something about privacy uh or about you know about the fact that it's really easy to find out everything about everyone today blah blah and he was saying that as a, as as a as a user And suddenly I was like, listen, that's like such a weird thing of you to say, because like you work in a company that tries to overcome, um, you know, this the encryption. And, and he said, well, at the end of the day, you know, the industry, it's like it's like a mouse and a cat, right? Like this. So WhatsApp used to be very, very easy to intercept or Instagram used to be very easy. And he said, like, as a user, I was concerned by that. But at the same time, as a company, of course, it was easier. It's much easier. It also used to be easier to um, make uh, avatars, like fake identities on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's no longer the case. Also, yeah. also referring to what you said in the intro. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, I mean, so it's a funny thing. Um, and now I no longer remember what you asked. I, <laughs> so uh, let's, let's... Uh, I want to understand exactly what is the product these companies offer. Um, so it really depends on which company you talk about. Um, Let's start with the biggest one. So again, a lot of the companies have many different tools and many different systems and softwares. Um, Variant, for example, you know, it's a company that has... I don't even know to count and in many cases where we reported about you know a, si- a variant system was used xyz um, chances are there are more systems there because a lot of the times you know, they don't they just sell one system but like they sell it to, a- along with other systems so variant for example you know they have so many different tools some of them are um in the world of like we call it OSINT okay OSINT is um for uh, open source intelligence uh which means actually uh gathering uh and maybe analyzing of open source 
meaning your Facebook, your Twitter, everything that is publicly available and is not... Big data. Yeah, I mean, big, big data is also a big word. Like, it's a big term. Yeah. That means a lot of things, but yeah, I mean... I, they I'm not take sure that information it's, from from vast amount of of places all over. It's more and about they, and they and they I don't know modify it in a way and translate it into insights maybe or so so let's I mean I I guess instead of talking about specific systems where like we are getting into a, um, a complicated ter territory let's talk a bit about the different kinds of, si okay. of systems. So as I said, there's OSINT. OSINT would mean gathering from stuff that is not closed to the public mm -hmm. um again your facebook your twitter very uh often these systems will have an avatar managing system as well um meaning that you know you can create personalities exactly you can create personalities and befriend other people and then you know suddenly it's a question whether it's still open source or not, but it's considered under the same category. This category of systems is not um, necessarily supervised uh, by the authorities that supervise on the export of intrusive, more intrusive systems. And that... It might be the least evil variation. I mean, I don't know. In terms of evil, you know, it... it really depends on on the use and on the perspective i guess but it is the, le the least intrusive mm -hmm. um that's for sure um and yeah so this is one one kind of system um that and the fact that it's not supervised is, is, is again the logic that you presented um and then you have uh systems that are called strategic systems um strategic systems would be uh, generally systems that are part of a monitoring center, meaning these systems are monitoring and collecting and often analyzing vast amount of data. Uh, either, this is what in Hebrew we would call it Merkaza as a note. It's like very, it used to be, you know, this like center where, you know, you would listen to phone calls. But today talking only about phone calls is kind of, you know, like we're yeah. over that now, it's all about data. Um, so these systems would, you know, um, basically, because it's all used by uh, the authorities. So these sort of systems would typically be working together with the telecommunication companies. They would have, you know, just access to all, all of the data and the calls that we all have. Because it's owned by the guy, because right. the system is what, you know, the system So no is, hacking involved. So no hacking involved. Um, and I mean, again, it kind of depends on how you define hacking, you know, but it's, yeah, but it's to get, because it's, and we need to keep that in mind when talking about all of these companies, because they work with the authorities. Right. Um and then you have other types of systems that are uh, typically used more uh, at, the, let's say, a police force or on the field. These are called tactical systems uh, where, um, you know, I, I would, you know, it, it very often like uh, you may have this image of, uh, you know, a briefcase with a system or maybe you don't. Uh, <laughs> It, but 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 it's actually the way it is, and that's like very police films to me. I don't okay. know but this suitcase that has like a little little system, and that system, depending on there are many types of systems. Some would intercept 
um, Wi-Fi, some would intercept um, cellular networks, etc., etc. These are in the vicinity. In the vicinity, you just said a word in English that I don't know, uh, like uh, close by. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and these systems, I mean, it's again it's for tactical operational exactly, use in the field. Exactly, exactly. And I don't want to make generalizations because, really, I mean, there are so many um, versions to these systems. But generally speaking, I think it's correct to say that they would be able to intercept um, maybe text messages, uh, but not WhatsApp, because that's so the challenge we spoke about before the challenge of today's uh, apps and communication actually becoming more encrypted. And that's something challenging to these sort of tools because suddenly, you know, you, that you, like you have another barrier on right. the way. So what's the holy grail? And the holy grail would be, yeah. <laughs> the holy, Give me some juice here. I can, sorry. I'm getting into a lot of technical. Uh, so uh, the holy grail would be tools like Pegasus. Um, Pegasus is a Trojan horse. Uh, a type of a Trojan horse. Um, it's um, an NSO tool. Uh, very well known. Very popular. Um, and very expensive. Um, What's expensive? Um, I said that knowing you would ask me how much. I don't know what to say from the top of my head. It is considered to be a very expensive tool. Uh, because again, you know, like what I spoke about before, this like whole uh, blurb of talking about I'll technical stuff. I'll just throw a number out there. Um, Tens of millions I, of dollars. I'm, I won't respond to that because okay. I'm not. Um, <laughs> so, but as I said before, talking a bit more technicalities was, was there is a vast range of tools and systems and different prices and different abilities. Uh, How does the Pegasus um, Trojan works? So work. So very in like very like broad uh, strokes. Um, Pegasus. What's what's um, different about it is that what I said before um, about the apps kind of posing a challenge, right? Or a lot of the systems today in our phones are like posing a challenge to surveillance tools and. Pegasus, what it what what it does, or the the way it actually works is, uh, it's a very targeted attack. Um, meaning, I need to want to to spy on you specifically, and how it usually happens is, I would send you a text that is tailored to you. Um, how how would I how would I be able to tailor it? That is a question. Sometimes it can be, uh, you know, maybe they're working with another system that's like an OSINT system, like the one we spoke about before. Or maybe someone or maybe just, was you getting know, to know my... my can, or just well, like the, the patterns. You know, or, you know, the local... If, some, if you have entered the list and, you know, the government or whatever put so much money into spying on you, then they must know some things about you right. <laughs> by now. Yeah. And they don't necessarily need a system for that, you know, like uh, just a classic Shin Bet work would do. So, for example, if I like, I don't know, if I like uh, free sushi nights, uh, the corner sushi, I would get a text message with a coupon. Mm -hmm. 
and with a link. Right. So, I, I mean, we could kind of tell the story of Santiago, Santiago Aguirre, right. who's, um, who's quoted in our piece. And he is a Mexican um, human rights defender. He works in an organization that helps. Uh, apparently, I didn't know that before working on this, Mexico has um, a very unfortunate phenomenon of uh, disappearances. Uh, either that are suspected to be either by the government or by the drug cartels. And his, uh, Santiago, uh, works in an organization that gives legal aid and campaigns for the families of those who disappeared. Um, and he is also a professor, uh, you know, to make some more money. And... One day he received message. He received a message that he thought was very unsuspicious, and the message talked about new revelations in a case that he was working on about the disappearing of 43 students in Mexico. It was a very high-profile case a couple of years ago, um, and so he clicked on the link, and the link was broken. Uh, but he, you know, he didn't think about it because, yeah. you know, whatever. Then sometime before or after, I'm actually not sure, he received another message um, that said, Professor, uh, you know, I don't know, something like a student writing to him about his paper or something like that. Please see my paper attached in the link. Clicked on a link. Link was broken. Um, again, he didn't really notice it. And then a couple of months afterwards, he was approached by a local um, Mexican organization called R3D. Um, they are a dig digital rights organization in Mexico. And he was approached by them and they said, listen, we think that you may, that, that you may have been a target of Pegasus. Now I will maybe stop and explain what Pegasus actually does. When you click on that link, um, what you're doing is you're actually um, kind of uh, uh, welcoming an agent. Opening a back door. <laughs> Again, opening a back door. Um, to your... Into your phone. And sometimes, uh, I mean, into your, 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 your admin, which means that this uh, agent, let's, let's call it, now has the highest permission. The software. To your phone. The Trojan software. Yes. Now it has, a, you know, the highest admin permission on your phone. Think when you know, you probably know it from your phones, you know, like apps would sometimes ask you for permission, right? Give me permission mm -hmm. to this, to this, to blah, blah, blah. The highest permission you can give is admin permission. Um, and that gives access, you know, to your, the, the highest access to your phone. Um, so my camera... So cameras, microphone. so microphone, it actually doesn't really, I mean, to everything kind of, because it kind of starts um, like, like, like kind of like videotaping your, 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 your phone life. from within. Yeah. Uh, big brother in yeah, real life. Yeah. Uh, and it can, accept, I mean, I'm, I don't want to say everything, but almost everything. Uh, and that's why it's considered to be a very powerful tool because it overcomes um, the encryption of a lot of uh, apps. And you can never even know about it. 
And you can't know about it unless you notice that, that someone approaches you one day and exactly. says, Exactly. Hey, and, listen. And text which your brings phone. us back to Pedro. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Santiago. Uh, and um, so, yeah. So, Santiago, Santiago and two more of his colleagues. Uh, I mean, I think that the, 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 the NGO approached them and they said, you know, we'll take your phone. Uh, did you get any weird messages? Then, you know, like three people are saying, they said, oh, yeah, we did actually. And they took their phones and checked it. And actually three phones came back as infected in Pegasus. Um, and it was, a, I, I believe, a joint investigation by um, Citizen Lab and uh, R3D that I mentioned before, uh, who are doing marvelous work, really, uh, and a lot of the revelations that have to do with Pegasus and with the surveillance industry in general are due to them and due to Privacy International, another NGO uh, that works on uh, the, the rights to privacy, basically, and digital rights. Um, and so that's how he found out uh, his phone was infected with Pegasus. And the crazy thing is, so he wasn't the only one, uh, not from his organization, but not at all. What... Uh, Citizen Lab revealed was that phones of journalists were infected. In one case, a son of a female journalist, his phone was infected. Um, why was that? You know, I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, maybe he was a, an easier target than her. I, I wouldn't know. Um, but were there consequences? So right now, there's actually, so it's an interesting time. Uh, and it's completely, I mean, it's, it's, it's the timing of our investigation came out as um, there is now, um, um, uh, a lawsuit. lawsuit. There is now a lawsuit um, against uh, and so and Circles, which is another company. Here in Israel. We, so there are actually two lawsuits at the same time. One is against and one is in Israel, and the other is in Cyprus. Uh huh. Uh, because many of these companies operate also in Cyprus. Correct. Um, correct. Because uh, it's in the union and it's cheaper. Right. And mm. um, I don't know. Maybe I mean, other reasons as well. So there are different reasons. Um, and I would say Cyprus is a center of, an, of, of a lot of companies and Bulgaria is another center of some of the companies. Um, the food is also better in Bulgaria. <laughs> than, than Israel? Come well... On. Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing beats. Maybe in Jaffa it's, it's <laughs> better. But, um, but um, okay, but I want to get back to... to, to um, to the, the story of the guy from Mexico, I forgot his name again. Santiago. Santiago. So n he didn't go to jail eventually. He no. no, 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 but no. But no. many other people suffered from f from from these companies, and you're saying there are the lawsuits. Yeah. Which are now under are, are, are happening as we speak. But 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 in your investigation you were able to confirm a list of countries so can you give me some of the countries in which you can you could prove these companies mm -hmm. operate so i mean bahrain being a, co a country that um you know is in the persian gulf um a lot of people don't know it exists it's a tiny it's a tiny country um where actually into 
2011 during the Arab Spring, uh, there were um, protests and like there's a big, you know, opposition coalition kind of thing going on, Shia and Sunni and all this thing. Um, so there we had a number of sources uh, confirming who were there and confirming that variant uh, is active there. Um, and what else? Um, like African countries? So Swaziland is one example, uh, which is Swaziland, again, a tiny country. It's the last absolute monarchy in Africa. Um, yeah. And uh, where else? Not exactly I'm, I'm, Switzerland. Not exactly Switzerland. <laughs> um, so, you know, we had Swaziland. There's obviously Ethiopia that was revealed a, a number mm-hmm. of years ago. Uh, Ni- Nigeria. Nigeria. A lot of companies operating in Nigeria. Nigeria Azer- like, Kazakhstan, so, Azerbaijan, maybe. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Kazakhstan. And many more. But on the, on the upside, uh, it's a new Middle East, right? The dream <laughs> has come true. Mm. Israelis and Arab countries collaborate in harmony. <laughs> right. I mean... Yeah, know. some gays die, but, you know, small price to pay, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess it, it comes at no surprise to people who are following Middle East um, politics. and demo- I mean, you know, it's pretty clear that Israel has relations with a lot of the Gulf countries and a lot mm-hmm. of, like, shared interests, so... It's no surprise. And, you know, a couple of years ago, it was revealed that uh, an Israeli company um, was uh, was also providing systems to the UAE uh, in, a, in a project called Falconeye, if I remember correctly, like a smart city in Dubai. Um, so, you know, it's really, it's not, I wouldn't say it's too surprising, um, but it kind of reveals once again, you know, the... Um, I think the weird thing about it is that everybody knows, or maybe not everybody knows, but a lot of people know that Israel has actually relations with this country, with with these countries, and you know, it's this gap between, you know, what diplomatically is kind of shown and Real you know politic, told to the p- yeah and told to the people and and what's actually happening that not so much in the back door, you know, like business are being done uh, and it's no secret um, to anyone following the news but as you say in the article it has been so since the early days of Israel right we can remember about the relationship with South Africa for example uh, yeah a bit later but yeah um, it's a, like a different geopolitical approach than expected but it leads me because the article in the end of the day it raises mainly moral questions mm-hmm Right, because it is perfectly legal, mm-hmm. and you stated in the article. Mm-hmm. Not only is it legal, you you say it has reached the Supreme Court judges, and mm-hmm. uh, who are arguably one. I would say I don't know, pretty moral people. You can't find many people who are more moral, allegedly, than <laughs> Supreme Court judges and the head of the Supreme Court, Mister mm-hmm. Chayut, uh, and so. So everybody say, even she says in the article that actually, you know, this these companies they feed lots of mouths here in Israel, maybe tens of thousands of families, and and if we don't do it, 
I'm being the devil's advocate here. If we don't do it, so uh, okay, so maybe so Germany or China will sell these this um, software, and the companies say that they um, they have contracts. In the contracts, the governments say they will only use this uh, this this technology to counter terror in legal ways. In legal ways, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and the companies say, uh, "We, when we find out they don't do it, we, we don't sell them anymore." So, or something like that. I That's, don't think any of them claim that because I, I read, not I, true. I read it, <laughs> but but yeah, okay, maybe it's not true. But um, anyway, so so what's the moral problem here, in your opinion? So, I mean, okay, I think it touches on on a number of things. Um, And I really like, at the end of the article, we have a quote from Yuda Glick, uh, who is a member of Knesset, member of parliament. And he's an interesting figure in general. Uh, you know, Came he's, back from the dead. <laughs> yeah, and he is very well known for being a temple activist. Yeah. Um, a very interesting person. And one of the things, and he, he's... He is religious, uh, if it's un unclear to the listeners. Um, and he is one of the fiercest advocates for a more moral approach of uh, the export of, of arms in general, but surveillance as well. And one of the things he talks about is he says, in Israel, whenever you say the word security, everyone shuts off. And it's sacred. Yes, and you can't debate it, mm -hmm. uh, and you can't doubt it, and also money. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I mean, and that's another and point. And yeah, that's another point I'll get to because I think it's an interesting. Uh, there's an inter interesting question there, but like I think first of all, you know, our I can say I, me and 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 Jonathan as well. I think like we both kind of want to focus actually the article kind of aims towards the government at the end because um, these are private companies and they are acting according to the law but we have bodies uh, or organizations that are governmental that whose, whose job is to supervise and they are saying parts like and we quote that in the article and they're, they're saying things like oh, yeah, we will never export to a country or we, we don't export to countries where we fear that there will be human rights abuse. Well, it's not true. We don't export to Iran, yeah. at least. <laughs> Iran and North Korea. <laughs> North Korea. Um, so, so, you know, I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I'm working on that. I think at the end, my question, my biggest question is to the government and I will share with you that I was really hoping uh, that in this, you know, very serious long-term investigation, we the would shock be... shockwaves would... Know that we will be able to conduct a proper interview with mm. the supervising body and they don't even do interviews. Right. So super, it super secret. starts even, you know, so it's... So to me, even before you talk about moral or immoral, it's about the ability to have the discussion and to have the actual data mm -hmm. because we don't know. According to, in 2014, um, there was some data that was submitted to one of the Knesset com committees that talked about, if I'm not mistaken, 130 countries mm -hmm. that Israel exports to. But everything is hush-hush. But we don't know. Who, what are these 130 companies? South Sudan? I mean, apparently it's in. 
because it's well known that Israel exported there. And I'm, I'm saying Israel, but you know, again, these are it's private not really companies. Israel's private companies, but, but Israel is making loads of money because they are taxing these deals. Right. And like the judge said, right. Uh, right. Huge part of the economy. Right. Lays on these deals. Right. And again, and I think for me, and that's my personal, very personal takeaway that's not uh, reflected in the article because it, I, I, Maybe I, between the lines. But, but. <laughs> no, but my, I mean, I, as a, you know, again, a private person, am kind of asking, well, if this is what the, what does it say about us that our economy is built on that? But I want to challenge you and say that wouldn't be, wouldn't it be hypocritical of us mm -hmm. to prevent selling, thinking that we also use such technology to counter terrorism but others would say we use it to, you know, uh, violate the, the rights of the Palestinians. To some people, there is no difference between us and South Sudan. Maybe too many people. Uh, so, you, so you think it's a challenge, but you're walking into a, a very open door. Uh, my <laughs> previous investigation uh, that was published in 2016 and was um, done after the 2015 so-called uh, knife intifada, individual intifada, however you want violent events, however you want to call it. Um, it was an investigation I did afterwards where we, me and my, 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 my colleague uh, back then, uh, Or Shagwa, uh, who today works in CTEC, Calculist, um, we conducted an investigation where we looked at indictments of Palestinians in the military court and Palestinians from the West Bank are not being tried in civil courts like us Israelis. They're being tried in military courts. Mm -hmm. And we looked at indictments and we looked at protocols, which took very long time to get, uh, and saw that there is a rise in the number of indictment, indictments on uh, incitement on social media mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and there was this whole, the rise of the predictive data approach that said, you know, maybe if I look on your social media and I few, and I am creating a fusion with that and with other things, then I'm able to arrest you even before you know that you're planning Minority attack. report it's shit. Ma of course. So that was, everybody <laughs> called this investigation minority report. And that's actually, so I'm quoting stuff that like people, you know, officials said that's not so. So yeah, I think it is a bit hypocritical. I do. So but as long I, as we do it, we might as well sell it is what I'm saying. Um, I, again, being the devil's advocate. Again, I do not agree with that. Um, first of all, you know, I'm coming from a place where I think revealing uh, information that is uh, hidden on purpose is by its own an important thing. And we live in a country where, like Yuda Glick said, the moment you say security, you're on, you know, it justifies everything. And it, you know, and we don't know a about a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, if you take it like... If you look at other at other you know stuff that happens, like for example, at gag orders, right, which is very very prevalent in Israel, and it has to do with this whole you know when we talk about security or the interests or the in security interests of Israel, you can't ask any questions, and I'm opposed to this approach. Mm -hmm. Regardless, and the army basically can can 
can tell you as a reporter to not publish something or they can delete sentences in your reporting, etc. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's there's the, the, the military censorship is, yeah, is a very, <laughs> is a, is, is a very uh, strong uh, yeah. thing in Israeli media um, and an interesting topic by its own. But again, so I, so first of all, I think that, you know, that's something we should kind of demystify or try to talk about, even though we're told not to talk about. Then there is the question of hypocrisy of, you know, what I am talking about, you know, how we're saying, you know, you shouldn't sell to, I don't know, Swaziland. It's an absolute monarchy. While in the West Bank, people live under military rule um, and are tried in military court. Yeah, and also the the problem with the moral argument is, where does it end? I mean, we might as well not sell our drones mm-hmm. to anyone, or we might as well, I you know, where does it end? It's very hard to 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 say and to to judge. But then. I disagree. I think it's easy to judge. Uh, in general, it's an easy thing to do. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think that instead, I'll take your argument and I'll kind of upside down it and say that what it requires us is to look deeper. It's not about whether if I start looking at surveillance, then I won't be able to to sell drones. It's about why and how is this country so dependent on the export of arms in general and what sort of future we see in this company where you know maybe it's not such like a sinful thought to think that one day it won't be such a big component of our economy and i'm i'm you know a uh, girl can dream a girl can dream um and again i having said that Obviously, this technology, and we've spoken to people who said, you know, in, I mean, you obviously have uh, a lot of stories about, you know, the not so friendly countries or whatever, but you also have stories of, you know, working with customers in, in, in Europe who helped, I don't know, this, how the systems helped uh, prevent terror attacks and, saved you lives. know, and saved lives. And I mean, of course, I'm not saying, and I do think that um, the people who work in this industry um, want to save lives. Um, you, you do think they want. I do think so. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that money talks and that, you know, if you are not forced factor in other things then you wouldn't and in that sense again i do not blame them i don't um i think it's the government's job okay so guys just to make it clear we only touched a tiny piece of the article it's so much broader and it's on you can find it in english and we'll put links And you can check it out and you can follow Hagar's uh, work. You must be working on some future things, right? So yeah, maybe we'll have you again in the next project. <laughs> uh, we'd love that. So before we go, we collaborate with the Jewish Journal. It's a great news source in Los Angeles. You can check them out at jewishjournal.com. And we do this on our free time. So we accept donations, guys. Go to 2njb.com slash donate and help us out. And that's it. Hagar, anything uh, like... You're on social media and stuff like that? 
Twitter? Um, yeah, don't follow me on Twitter. I don't update there or anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you have a scoop or want to say anything, then search for me on Twitter where you'll be able to find my email and my Telegram account. Hagar Shizaf. Thank you. And uh, the article is available on haaretz.com. Yep, we'll put links. And that is it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye.